This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. Here with me always is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've got a, a great show planned for you here today. Uh, three major segments in today's episode. We're going to start off with some hot topics, uh, including the digitization of air cargo. Uh, we're going to talk about tortilla robots, um, which it, it's keeping with our theme of always having something interesting and a different spin on transformation and technology. So we'll talk about tortilla robots um, in those hot topic segments, as well as mission critical networks in Industry 4.0. So if you're a manufacturer or otherwise interested in Industry 4.0, uh, that'll be a good conversation you won't want to miss. And then we're going to talk about Navy SEALs and company culture GPA. Um, so we'll talk about uh, the impact or the lessons from Navy SEALs and how that can affect company culture. Um, so those will be our hot topic segments to open up the show. And then later in the show, we're going to have our first guest, uh, who is Adriana Girdler, who's a project management expert and a trainer and author and YouTuber. She's going to be on the show with us discussing best practices in project management and program management for digital transformations in particular, but these lessons and these topics that we'll cover are actually relevant in any sort of uh, business initiative or change initiative uh, that you might be going through. So stick around for that. She's a very uh, energetic and well-versed uh, guest that knows project management very well. So you won't, you won't want to miss that segment. And then last but not least, our third segment later today, we're going to play you another clip from our digital stratosphere event that we hosted a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going to have Clifford Martin and Dominic uh, Lynch on our um, show to talk about the uh, quality assurance within digital transformation. Um, and I realize I just spoke, misspoke. It's not Dominic Lynch, it's Dominic Lynn. I don't know why I added the CH to it, but it's uh, I should know his name by now. He's worked with us now for about three years, so I should get his name straight. Uh, that's Dominic Lynn and Clifford Martin. Dominic's from our uh, Third Stage Europe office and Clifford is from our uh, Africa office, which together they're part of the same team within the EMEA uh, region there. Um, so we'll talk about this panel discussion with uh, talking about quality assurance within digital transformation, why it's so important and how you can leverage a quality assurance framework for your transformation. So you'll want to stick around for that as well. But before we get to our, our guests, uh, just a reminder that we have new episodes of this show every Wednesday. Be sure to like it, subscribe to it. You can find the new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms that are out there, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, et cetera. So be sure to Check us out and subscribe there. Um, but before we get to our guest, uh, tell us about these hot topics you have in store for us today, Kyler. 
Absolutely. Well, um, we saw a dip in the supply chain when it comes to actual freight shipping in the last couple of weeks as we go into a big holiday week for China, specifically our Asian marketplace, and then also in prepping for the holiday season um, in the Western world. Uh, the freight shipments haven't quite picked back up. So I dug into that a little bit because I wanted to talk about it and, and found an interesting case study that looked uh, looked at the digital transformation in air cargo specifically. So Emirates, uh, which is a popular airline globally, uh, is launching what they call Sky Cargo, and they link up with Web Cargo, which is actually a system by Fredos. And it's an industry leader in enabling customers to book flights for freight shipments just as they would book airline travel. Uh, so this customer access is kind of a new frontier to be able to ship things and have more control and visibility into your shipping as opposed to traditionally, you know, you, you put something in a mail or with um, bigger carriers and you kind of track the package but don't have a ton of control over it. So it's it's good for businesses too to be able to have that option within their supply chain management and understand those strategic business decisions. So just to give you an idea, this access will be phased in in Spain, the Netherlands, Germany, France, Italy, the UK and Turkey uh, and it actually will go live tomorrow. And by the end of October, so if you're listening to this um, podcast, it's already uh, already live, um, right? So you can go check it out. But by the end of October, uh, Sky Cargo's inventory will be available all across Europe uh, with more than 30 airline support uh, that will give live price quotes too and allow you to be able to, to book that um, shipping for larger items or for businesses to create that account. Uh, so I, I think it's an interesting strategic partnership and then also a kind of a, just a movement in the global shipping industry as we've seen um, freight shipping kind of go on um, when it comes to maritime continue to decrease. So wanted to get your feedback on that, Eric, if that's something that you've seen in the marketplace or that you 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 think will be a, a main trend. Yeah, so it almost sounds like it's a kind of an Uber for air cargo and, and supply chain logistics providers or shipping providers, whatever um, category you want to call it. But um, is that a fair oversimplification of what it is? I would say so. Yeah, I, I would say I would say it's very similar to that. And the fact that it gives really the customer the control and the choice of, you know, where they're um, actually their items being shipped or, or what they're utilizing as far as it part of their, their supply chain management, not to mention airline travel is a bit faster a lot of times, especially if you're just working in the European area um, too. So it's a, it's an interesting um, new option for sure. And I think it's something that, that the supply chain visibility, as we always kind of talk about, is so important to not only the strategic approach, but it seems as though technology is enabling that for many different levels of customers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a way to make better use or to optimize the supply chain and different partners in the supply chain to make sure that you're, you know, getting the most optimized cost and that you're also uh, taking advantage of capacity where it's available. So I think it's a great, any, any sort of technology like that, that helps make the supply chain more efficient and cost effective, I think is, it can only help right now, especially in today's day and age with the supply chain challenges that you mentioned before. 
Absolutely. Well, definitely something to continue to watch. It seems like the supply chain industry can't really catch a break. So it's always great to hear some good news and innovation around um, some additional new technologies in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about this tortilla robot, right? Um, so Chipotle, which is you know a global um, brand when it comes to fast, fresh um, Mexican food, usually is is what it serves. So burritos and and those types of things. If you don't know Chipotle, definitely check it out. It's a staple here in the U.S. Um, so basically, what they have done is they had been piloting an AI based robot to make tortillas. Um, and this new robot will actually is out of the testing phase and will now actually start going into stores. So if you go in the Chipotle fast casual experience, you go up and you get your tortilla. And a lot of times one of the employees or the workforce there will kind of warm up your tortilla depending on what you're getting. Well, now that will be outsourced uh, to uh, Chippy, his name is. Um, that will be working in a real restaurant. Uh, so it, the first, uh, the first chippy will be in Fountain Valley, California here in the United States in October. Um, and that will kind of decide their national rollout. The interesting part about uh, their use of artificial intelligence, not only in robotics, but also they are piloting a demand-based cooking system that uses AI to tell staff, what and when to cook something based on forecast data. And part of their big brand is freshly cooked. So um, allowing employees to have better visibility into what that forecasting might look like when preparing fresh food is something that they're also piloting um, as well at eight locations in Orange County, California. So so definitely some interesting kind of food and beverage based new technology in in that world. Yeah, and using data and artificial intelligence to better predict and better manage uh, the flow or the, the ebbs and flows in supply and demand. It uh, seems like that's uh, you know a smart smart use of of technology there. When you said Chippy though, I, it, I don't know why it reminded me of this, but in the past we've talked on this episode about. Um, what was that annoying little paper clip that would used to pop up in Clippy. Microsoft Outlook? Clippy. So that's, I was getting confused yeah. for a brief second. I, I thought you were talking about Clippy again. And I thought, oh no, why is Clippy from the early 2000s? Why is he making a resurgence or a reappearance on our show? But it turns out you're talking about something totally different and more modern than yeah. Clippy. So yeah. that's, that's Clippy, Clippy. Um, even though I do, I mean, I feel like all... 80s babies have like a soft spot in their heart for Clippy. You know, we really did grow up with him in the Microsoft world. And I know he tried to make a very failed attempt at a comeback a few years back. But um, I, I think I would prefer Chippy over Clippy if I had to choose um, just for the whole, you know, tortilla chipotle um, food right. <laughs> option. So, yeah. And a, good, a good reminder that some of the best technology is behind the scenes and you don't even know it's there, but it just makes your experience better without you knowing it. Whereas Clippy is sort of uh, in your face and annoying at, at times, in my opinion. Uh, it sounds like Chippy uh, with the tortilla situation will be able to hopefully make the dining experience more positive for those that frequent uh, Chipotle. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, on, on more of a, a serious, less, I guess, 
food driven note. Um, there's been some movement, Eric, in the mission critical network and industry for. 4.0. So mission critical networks, for those of you that don't know, are basically the, the needed safety infrastructure, essential functions in um, business, government, economy, and society. So we're, we're talking about things like first responders, hospitals, power grids, air traffic control, railway systems, anything that if they're hijacked in any way can cause a, a very big safety issue. So basically, um, any degradation or outage within power grids across the United States, across the world, can lead to life-threatening risks. So a lot of what the work has been done in Industry 4.0 and setting the infrastructure for what that looks like is moving these mission essential critical networks to uh, a very high secure uh, ability to communicate and, and stay functional. So I wanted to share some global um, case studies around this. So if many of us in the cybersecurity industry remember the colonial gas pipeline um, ransomware attack that happened in 2021, that led to fuel shortages, gas prices skyrocketed, and really prompted a national security threat um, declaration from the United States government. So even though this attack didn't um, actually affect the operational network, that network did have to come offline to mitigate any risks, which again, uh, that is essential power for our power grids to fuel our vehicles, those types of things. Uh, so in looking at the risks of those, a lot of companies are now kind of getting in front of what that looks like for their mission critical operations. For example, uh, a company in Ger Germany is working to build a 5G network that fully stands alone um, to automate trains and control in real time with intelligent traffic management to increase capacity and safer on-time op operations for their overall transportation system. Also in Western Australia, the Public Transportation Authority is modernizing an existing metro railway system, so still on that transportation side, uh, that involves very high-tech private wireless on a digital platform um, that they can be able to create a, a more risk efficient cybersecurity risk mitigation kind of tactics. So um, that those are some of just the, the basic structures of what Industry 4.0 from a functional perspective is giving opportunities to kind of privatize those types of different networks and really lock down the cybersecurity threat. So, you know, knowing that we do a lot in oil and gas in governments and those types of, of different support through our clients, I wanted to see kind of what your feedback was on, on getting that security for those really critical operations that just keep people safe. Yeah, it certainly magnifies the, the need for cybersecurity um, soundness, if that's a word. Um, but, you know, even even other industries outside of, you know, some of these mission critical ones, I think, you know, cybersecurity is, is a big deal. Um, we actually just right before we started filming this podcast, a, a couple of us were, were meeting with a, a client who's a home builder um, here in the United States. And they they had a cybersecurity breach and, and uh, some ransomware uh, types of situations 
uh, during a digital transformation. They, they sort of hijacked um, somehow some sort of vulnerability in the ERP system that they were deploying. And, you know, the home builder is not quite the same, you know, in terms of the mission critical, although we all need homes, but it's not the same as bringing down a, a power network or, or something of that nature. Um, so I think it's a great thing. And I think it's, it's certainly, um, you know, it, it's, it's, like I said, even more important for these mission critical companies and organizations to have those cybersecurity controls in place. Absolutely. And I think it's something that we'll continue to see kind of that privatization of those specific networks um, and that kind of really big, beefy cybersecurity strategies when it comes to what that looks like as far as, as just overall safety. And it will be interesting to, to see how governments and regulations actually play into that from a co compliance perspective, too, as we've seen a lot of global governments start to have cybersecurity specific legislation about how they need to protect their financial institutions, how businesses need to protect customer data, those types of different things. So I think it kind of all wraps into the overall um, master data management evolution in the digital transformation space. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, lastly, I wanted to talk about um, company culture GPA. So I found a recent study that actually modded um, it, it showcases how you can actually measure uh, your company culture's GPA. And so here GPA means grade point average. So that's what they're trying to put specific KPIs and actual quantitative data around company culture and how you measure that. So this study actually follows um, the Navy SEAL system that they use to understand their operations. And what this looks like is the senior command operator will grade themselves on different fields for their jobs and mindset. And the system is from from one to five. So basically, if I asked you, um, can you make tortillas? If you said one, you would have no idea what a tortilla is, no idea how it's made of, what the ingredients are. If you are five, you're, you know, chippy, hyper level. I am a professional tortilla maker, a subject matter expert in that area. So it's a, a way in which you can kind of rate that. And I'll share some of the, the KPIs that this study looks at. Um, it looks like attitude mindset, goal completion, network, financial intelligence, resourcefulness, leadership and empathy, team communication and culture, professional knowledge, development, discipline and consistency, time management, recharge time, and then also it measures family life too outside of that. So it asks six key questions. So I thought I would ask you some of these questions, Eric, on the spot, because, you know, I always like to, to do that and um, see kind of how you felt about, about your measurement. So this is, this is basically um, the six key questions to measuring culture. So the first one, maybe we'll just do two or three here um, for time's sake, but it, it is, what is your why for what you do and why is it that important to you? And you're looking for a, for a quantitative rating, not like a qualitative answer, right? No. Yeah. So this one would be the qualitative part. So you answer this one in actual words as opposed to numbers. Okay. And you're, and obviously this is for third stage consulting, right? For, for our company. You're asking this. Is that correct? whatever you want to answer? Okay. Do you have any other companies or like? Yeah, well, what? I didn't know if it was like a personal thing, like you know, it would, whatever. But uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yes, you know, bear with me. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not used to these on the spot uh, tests that you have for me, but uh, no, um, say it again. So the why, the why of what? So what is your why for what, what you why? do? Okay. And why is that important to you? Okay. So the why of what we do is we represent our client's best interest and only our client's best interest in helping them through their digital transformations in a uh, technology agnostic and independent way. Um, and so that's important to us. That's the, the core part of our business model. Our values are focused on everything related to independence and technology agnostic approaches. Um, and so that's really the why we do this is, is to help our clients and to help them be more successful in these risky and um, high failure rate types of endeavors that, that they're embarking on. Um, and then the second part of the question is why is the why important? Is that what you said? Why is that important to you? Yeah. Why is that important to you? Why did you start a company that is focused on, you know, the independence and technology agnostic services? Yeah. So it's important to me uh, personally, just because I didn't like being on the other side of it, um, you know, being part of the machine or part of the, the usual consulting space where you're biased or you're commissioned by software vendors, you're getting paid by software vendors and you end up with a totally biased um, advisory service that doesn't necessarily and typically doesn't align with your client's best interests and needs. So just for me, it was uh, just on a personal level is more of a, if I'm going to continue in this field, in this career, I'm going to have to find a different way to do it because I didn't like the way it worked, you know, when I was at one of the bigger consulting firms and other consulting firms after that. So that, it, for me personally, that's why it's important to me. Very good. Good job. Well, I'll ask you one more um, question, maybe on the six question list, and we could post the other ones in the comments and see what everybody else answers. But what are two things you are most interested in learning more about at third stage? Yeah, so actually it's... Um... I never thought I'd say this, but it's actually a little bit more technical. I, I think I'm, you know, you look at all the major threads of what makes transformation consulting uh, effective. You have, you have people process technology pieces of it. And I've always felt like I'm pretty good or pretty solid in the people and process side. I'm, I'm always learning, but I feel like those are strengths of mine to, to understand the people and process and maybe the strategy side of it as well. Uh, but I don't, I'm not as technical as I could be. So there's, you know, just trying to learn more about um, data and architecture or integration and just some of the emerging technologies that are coming out in the space. I'm really intrigued by the way technology is changing. And I'm not talking about like ERP systems and how they're evolving, which is of interest, but I'm talking more, you know, some of the newer, just totally different types of technology like RPA or, um, you know, data lakes and interoperability types of software. I mean, there's just all this stuff that's coming out that's doesn't fit neatly in a box that we like to put things in in consulting in the consulting world, uh, but they're really you know potentially game changing technologies out there. So I think just learning more about the technology space and some of the newer technologies is, is something that's always of interest to me in recent months and years. Good, good. Well, excellent. Well, it seems like you have a high um, company culture GPA. I don't know. I mean, we'd have to go through all of these to really measure it. <laughs> Um, but I think the importance of, of this overall research is just showcasing the ability to measure culture and the importance behind actually going through this exercise employee by employee, because some things, especially as a leader of the business, might surprise you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And uh, speaking of company culture, GPA, no, that's that's not going to work, is it? I was going for some sort of transition into our next guest, but 
Uh, it's not going to quite <laughs> work. Although, although we are going to touch, we, we, we'll touch on culture. We'll touch, we'll touch on change management. I'm sure at some point in this conversation, because we can't seem to have any conversation here at third stage or on this podcast without talking about uh, change management. But um, regardless of whether or not I have a clean transition or not, which I don't clearly, uh, we are going to bring on our next guest, uh, which is a Adri. Wow, I can't speak today. Adriana Girdler. So we're going to have Adriana Girdler on, who's a author, YouTuber, trainer, and consultant, and she specializes in project management. So we're going to talk about best practices in project and program management, particularly focused on how project and program management can enable a more effective digital transformation. So we're going to have her on the show to chat about that. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms as well. All the leading ones that you might turn to like Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. Be sure to check us out there and subscribe to the weekly podcast, new, new episodes every Wednesday. I'm excited for our, our next guest. Uh, we're going to have uh, Adriana a first-time guest on the show, Adriana Girdler, who is an expert in project management. So we're going to talk about uh, best practices in project management, lessons learned from project management, just some basic definitions of what project management is and how it differs from program management, and really what are some of those first steps you can take to deploy more effective project management in your digital transformation. So with all that being said, Adriana, welcome to the show. Hey, you're very welcome. Thank you. And I see that I have another Canadian on here as well. Yay. <laughs> yeah, at least there's at least two of two of us here from uh, North America. Uh, make yeah. that three now. We've got uh, Michelle from Denver here as well. So yeah, a couple of Canadians, a couple of Americans yeah. and uh, other other countries as Argentina, well. Argentina, India. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. So Adrienne, I learned about you. Or I, I found out who you were, or just got to know you, I guess you could say, through your YouTube channel some of the other social media stuff that you put out there. You put out a ton of content. You have a good following. Yeah. But maybe just tell us a little bit about your your background, sort of what what it is, how you grew up in the project management space, and more specifically, what you do now. I do love that. Grow, I grew up. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, 100%. Um, I'm Adriana Girdler, and I am president and CEO, that's chief efficiency officer of Cornerstone Dynamics, and we're a consulting firm as well. And we are a project management and a process improvement consulting firm. So I've been um, doing what I'm doing 
obviously in my consulting firm for close to 15 years, but this world for other organizations since I graduated. So I've been doing this for a very long time. You're supposed to say you don't look it, but that's okay. You weren't fast enough, Eric, but joking. Joking, joking. Um, yeah, so I, I have a very, very background. Um, you know, I, I have the background that I have, I'm quite pleased with because I have numerous degrees and things of that nature. But I started out in sales, went back to school for engineering, uh, worked in automotive and pharmaceutical, and um, then started my own consulting firm. And my consulting firm basically works in all different industries because a project is a project, a process is a process, and it's always trying to find the most effective and efficient way practically to get things done because that's what it's about when we're in the business world is how do we get our initiative and strategies and how do we proceed to move them forward in a way that's actually going to deem to be successful and that's where people fall off the wagon a lot of times is they don't get to what they need to do or it's very difficult to do it and then there's struggles along the way which by the way doesn't have to be that way so that's kind of you know who i am i help companies and people do what they do internally better if i'm going to do it in a nutshell that's a, it's a good way to put it. I love the chief efficiency officer uh, spin on your title too. That's great. I have to have to have a little tongue in cheek. You got to laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. And what I love, what I want to get into too, what I love about your background and your view of project management, just from watching your videos, is it a, the focus on efficiency as you, as you describe in your title, but you also mentioned process improvement and you, you seem to have a pretty complete view of not just the project management discipline, but how it ties into other aspects of a business and strategy and and all that sort of stuff. And that's some of the stuff that you and I talked about as we were prepping for this, this conversation. Yeah. But it, maybe to start, um, what, what about um, just starting, a, starting with the question of what, why is project management so important, particularly to a digital or business transformation, any sort of change initiative? Why, why is project management so important? We'll start with the basics there. For sure. So let's first define projects, because I think that becomes really, really important because we don't realize how many projects we actually run. And that's the problem. So a project has a definitive start and end date. That's really, really important. It has a deliverable at the end. You usually have a series of tasks associated with it. And most of the time you pull on other subject matter experts to help you execute on that. That's a definition of a project. Now, interestingly enough, if you take that definition, we have a lot of initiatives that we're given that fall under that definition as well. So whether that's a digital transformation initiative, whether that's your boss giving you, hey, we have this new strategy, I need you to implement it. Based on that definition, that's a project. Now, what happens is when we think of projects, we think of these very large initiatives that of course you need project management around it. And the answer is yes, of course you do. But what people don't realize is that there's a lot of smaller initiatives, smaller type projects that also need the framework of project management. And that's why project management is so important because it doesn't matter the industry you're in, what you do, you're always going to have an initiative or a project that has a start and an end. You have to move it forward in order to deliver on a goal. And if you wanna do that well, then there's a framework and a different hat you have to put on in order to be successful. Right. How did you, just out of curiosity, how did you, fall into the realm of project management and in this focus and dedication to project management how did how did that come to well it's interesting it's it's thank you it's an interesting um question because when i first started off in my career i was in sales and i did tons of projects without realizing it i didn't do them well (laughs) okay at all at all because i was wondering why isn't this working because you're not thinking in the right mindset so when i went back to school for engineering engineering is a very 
it's just a profession that falls into projects naturally because everything you do is a project. You have to create, you have to develop. And so everything's a project. Um, and as a result of that, uh, I just naturally fell into those roles. I did process engineering. I did a lot of experimentation. When I went into pharmaceutical, that was when I got into the Lean Six Sigma type roles, which again, are all projects. Um, and I just fell into it. And then I got my PMP and became a professional, uh, a project management professional, um, just to, you know, give credence to the work that I was doing. So I, I fell into it from the chosen profession that I took of mechanical engineering. However, I was doing projects my whole professional career without realizing it in the beginning. So it was only through, um, because I'm also a Lean Six Sigma master black belt um, specialist as well, um, I'm always looking for efficiencies. So with my own projects as I do efficiencies and that's kind of how it all unfolded and I got to where I am today because my own clients and my consulting firm had always asked me, oh my God, you run projects like so well, can you teach our people? And that's kind of what kind of spurred me creating my own online uh, project management course because of that, just the requests that I get. So yeah, that's, right. that's my journey in project management. It is every single person on this uh, live stream does projects whether you realize it or not right and so yeah. you kind of was born out of necessity you didn't necessarily as a kid I think oh, a project manager. It. No, no, right it fell it fell in my lap and interestingly enough that's how most project managers become a project manager <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is it falls in your lap you actually have a different profession and you kind of fall into it yes can you do schooling for project management listen the best project management um activity out there is experience and you can do that in any organization and role that you're in because don't forget there's initiatives you can just take principles and foundations and you can apply them and then the more and the more you do well with them they start giving you more and more projects or initiatives right uh, so that's how you fall into that role and digital transformation by the way has tons of projects yes tons. every so single initiative actually is a project yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Now, I, I didn't mention this or ask you this in your introduction or your background, but m now might be a good time to t uh, touch on it since you, you reminded me. Tell us about this course that you um, that you have, this online course, and you also have a, uh, a promo code that you're offering to our listeners here today. So I want to uh, maybe, maybe you could yeah. just verbalize that and we'll drop it in the chat as well so everyone has sure. a link. Yeah, so um, I have a practical online project management course, which basically I've taken project management, streamlined it, because let's be honest, 80% of projects only need some core foundational items. There's tons of project management. And as a project manager, if you're doing large global scale, major projects, yes, you need a whole bunch of other tools that were taught. However, for most people, you don't. So over the years, I've streamlined it. I've used my efficiencies. I've taken the best of the best. And here's what you need to be successful. In fact, this is what I do with my own clients that I get complimented on all the time. So I made Slay Project Management. It's an online course. I believe the chat, you're going to put the link in the chat. And yeah, and for anybody here who's interested, I'm, I have a $50 off coupon for you just because you're here out of my appreciation and gratitude. Yeah, which is an awesome win-win. We get, we get to Absolutely. have you- and you're giving us $50 towards your course. Um, and actually, if you look in the chat, um, check for from either Kyler and or Third Stage Consulting. There's a link uh, to the to the course as well as the promo code in the chat yeah. here for, on whichever platform you're watching. So be sure to check that out. Take uh, off 50 is the coupon code. 
take off 50 and yeah and that's and your uh, now your youtube channel is called uh, or you, you use that phrase slay project management that's sort of your your tagline it seems to be uh, yeah your slay slay your project and excel in your career so i have a project a youtube channel check it out tons of information uh on projects but not just about how to do things so it's really an educational channel I try to keep things in short snippets because there's a lot of individuals out there who just need some guidance and direction. So that's, and I'm almost at hundred K. So if any of you want to subscribe, I would be so grateful <laughs> trying to get over that hump. I want that silver plaque, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all about uh, project management. There is a whole bunch of other career related um, advice in there too, because don't forget projects, are in the professional world. And there's a lot of things in our projects that ex that go outside of the realm of, ex of executing on a task. It's the communication. It's how do we have bring engagement? How do we run efficient meetings? Because all of that is related to project management. So it's really looking holistically at how can you do really well in your professional world and how can you use tools and techniques in order to help you to be really successful and really to make your life easy. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned this dynamic of your upbringing in your career and how you sort of fell into project management out of necessity yeah. and it wasn't something you necessarily planned to do and that's something we see a lot with our with our clients too you know they're they're being asked to lead these big global transformations but they haven't necessarily managed a project or been formally trained in project management before so i wanted to ask this question on behalf of one of our audience members here from kyler who's actually our, our podcast co-host um, who asked, well said, what are some of the core skills needed to make a project manager successful? So in other words, if I'm, if I get a project handed to me, whether I like it or not, I've been asked to lead this initiative yeah. and I want to lead this initiative. What are some of the, the key skills and some of those core skills that you would recommend that you, you sharpen? Yeah. So I, the first and foremost, and I say this all on my YouTube channel, communication is critical. Um, I think a lot of project leads, managers, individuals don't understand it. I don't care if you say things once, you have to say it over and over. Your communication channel is what makes and breaks a project. There's a whole bunch of other skill sets you need too, but if you don't have really good communication, then that has huge ramifications. So that communication is getting clarity, that communication is getting confirmation of understanding, that communication is providing updates to key stakeholders, that communication is ensuring that you and your project team are constantly in sync so that when risks pop up, you can start addressing them right away. So communication is probably the most fundamental skill set. Now, what's interesting and kind of not even ironic, but just interesting, that's probably a skill set for any profession is communication. Mm -hmm. And it's sorely lacking. I find people get so busy and wrapped up in what they're doing that they drop communication. But with projects, it's even more so why you have a short window to be successful. I don't have a length of time. I don't have over a period of time where it's okay and, oh, I didn't get to you. No, if I don't get to you, it could have major ramifications on the activities that you're trying to do. So communication is key. Uh, documentation is the second one. You probably hear that all the time. Paper pushers, paper pushers. But I promise you, you do need your paper documentation and you do have to do a good job in ensuring that you capture everything and you document because what happens with short sprints of activities is if things fall through the cracks and you have major things that fall through the cracks, if you don't have proper documentation to show you've done your due diligence, the fingers start pointing at you. 
Um, and so that's something that becomes really important. But not only that, if people promise you stuff, you need to go back to the documentation. But documentation also provides clarity. And what people don't realize is really good documentation. If I hand that off to my team, they should be able to off, go off and run and start doing their tasks without me having to micromanage them. So really good. And there's tons of types of documentation that, 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 that you can do. Um, and then really good meeting management, which is really interesting. And again, all of this is transferable to any activity you do. But think about it. In projects, how do we get together with people, particularly virtually? And we have global projects or we have global teams. What do we do? A meeting. A lot of people do not know how to run a meeting, let alone run an effective and efficient meeting in order to get answers to move things forward. How many times have you gotten out of a meeting and you have no idea what you're supposed to do? Right. Or you think, or you, think you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't have a due date. Right. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> right. So that's why that all comes. It all comes together. Do you need, you know, uh, those are put the top three. Are there more? Absolutely. There's more. Absolutely. There's more. But those are the top three. I would say if you're going to get into a great communication, really good documentation with your organization and really good meeting management. If you understand those, that is going to help you really soar as a project manager. It's fundamental. Obviously, there's other stuff as well. It's not just those three, but those are definitely the three I would call out because they're sorely lacking. I see it all the time right. in any role. Yeah, and it it seems like um, you know a lot of what you're talking about is relevant whether you're um, a consultant or service provider that needs to manage projects on behalf of your clients or if you're an internal stakeholder at a company that's going through a transformation. But one thing I've noticed, I'd be curious to see what you think of this, is that I've noticed that with a lot of our clients, there's a mentality that, you know, the stuff you're talking about, Adriana, is great, but we're going to hire the experts to do the project management. We're going to bring in an outside project manager to manage this initiative for us. And so I kind of get what you're talking about, but I'm going to defer to the the third party provider. Is this is this a skill set that you would recommend for an internal team, even if you're not a consultant or even if you're not a service provider that's that's helping with it with the transformation? Absolutely. Are you kidding? Absolutely. Because <laughs> don't forget a lot of a lot of times you have a project manager, don't forget, who's looking at the macro view of everything. And there's multiple streams within that project, okay? Particularly digital transformation. It's not just one person executing the project and a project manager overseeing that person. You probably have software developers, you have your marketers, you have your trainers, you have uh, operations. Like you have all these streams with different individuals. Those individuals who are on your project who've been chosen are not the ones who are solely going to execute the tasks. You may have a representative like a manager who's on your project who's going to pass those tasks off to other people. What I just said flows through the hierarchy, flows through from a project manager all the way to the core team members and to the other individuals who may not be on the core team but have to execute on some of those tasks, whether that's an internal person or an external hired individual as well. So there is this flow that needs to have happen and expectations that really need to be set up in a proper way. Sometimes people think of a project manager as a task, tactical taskmaster. That's not the case. It's actually a strategic role. And I think that gets missed. I'm constantly strategizing where we need to go, how we need to do it. Yeah, there's a tactical element to it, but I got my tools and techniques that I put that out. I'm all about strategy. I'm constantly saying to my clients, yes, I know I'm a consultant saying to my clients, but even when I was in the role of an employee to my manager, by the way, what you want here is not going to work. We have to do change control, blah, blah, blah. I was looking at it from strategic, 
uh, perspective. I wasn't being told here, you have to do this. I would look at it and understand that bigger picture because I'm in the eye of the storm, right? right? There's this whirlwind. And I need to tell those, particularly outside external steering committee members, senior executives, managers who don't understand it, but I want to scope creep or gold plate items. Like, no, you can't have that. And if you're, you're going to change something, we got to look at scope, time, and budget. Let's look at our priority matrix and let's understand how we're going to do that. And there becomes a negotiation that gets associated with it. And that's something that I find a lot of leads and junior people or those who don't have experience or don't have the right tools or techniques start to just think, oh, I have to do this. I'm a taskmaster. I'm a tactical person that just executes what I'm told. The answer is no. No, you're not. You're a strategic individual that needs to ensure from a high level perspective, the deliverable of this project or initiative. So how are you going to do that? And sometimes I promise you, those that are not in it daily don't understand the nuances. It's your job as a project manager to educate people on those nuances so you can get the right decisions done to be successful. Right, right. So that's great. And, and so in addition to this um, fine tuning the understanding or, or fine tuning what it means to be a good project manager, you're, what you're saying is it's a strategic role, not a tactical role. Um, so that's sort of a, a misconception about project management. What what are some of the other common misconceptions about project management in general? Um, anyone can project manage. <laughs> it's no, one. it's 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 a big misconception. It's kind of like, well, I'm a software developer. I guess anyone can create a software. No, there's an education. Oh, I'm a doctor. I guess I guess anybody can be a doctor, right? right. So you know, I think what and like obviously, I'm doing extreme. <laughs> Right, right. Life or death. <laughs> right. I'm doing extreme comparisons to kind of bring about the point. Project management is a distinct skill set. And you really need, as I said, there's a different hat you put on. It's a different perspective. You actually look at it from a strategic managerial role because it's a project manager. So you're guiding a group of people in order to get things done. That not everybody can do that. Not everyone can be a manager. So not everybody can be a project manager. And I think it's like that for a lot of roles. Not any everybody can just be anything. You got to look at the right skill set. Um, and that is, first of all, do they have great organization? Are they able to, you know, herd cats? Like how many times have we been told that? Herding, can they herd? Can they, and how do you convince people? who don't report into you directly, but have a manager who's, and everything they do is tied to their bonuses and stuff like that, if you have that, then start doing what you're asking them to do and for them to be committed to your project when they don't report directly into you. That's a skill set. Right. And I have to say, you know, I get, I have people who don't report into me who are not even, I'm, I'm a consultant and yet they will jump Whenever I say, hey, guys, we have to do this, blah, 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 blah. Why? Because I support them. And I'm actually giving them what they need in order to be successful. And they get it. So they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, Adrian, you need that? Because they know it's real. They know it's not fabricated. It's not something I'm pulling out of the air to fill my time. When I look and do everything, it has purpose. And I've set it all up. And they know from day one what to expect. That really makes an amazing project manager. Right, right. That's, that's great. And so you're kind of covering what... The skills required are the competencies required as well as what the misconceptions about those those skills and competencies are. Absolutely. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Adriana Girdler talking about project management, best practices in digital transformation. We have a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Whoa. 
you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. I'm here with Adriana Girdler talking about project management best practices in digital transformation. So here's a getting a little bit more tactical. It's still strategic, but we're getting a little more tactical here on this question from, from uh, Gassan over on LinkedIn. What are some recommendations to minimize scope creep? And maybe you could first well, talk about why, why is that so important to manage scope? And secondly, how do you, absolutely. How do you creep? So why is it so important to manage scope? Because it's so easy for someone who's not part of the project to say, just add that in. Honestly, right. it's really easy. They have zero clue the ramifications of everything. And as project managers and anyone who runs a project understands it's all about time, scope, and budget. So do I, so with what you're asking me, do I have the resources in order to do it? Do I have the money? Do I have the time? So you have to take a look at all of that because something that seems simple to someone else can actually create havoc to your project. And the other issue along with that is when people ask for stuff, they don't want to give you anything else either. So they want you to do more with less. Okay. There's, there's only X amount of time in the day. Number one, there's only X amount of budget that I probably already set aside. So what else do you want me to do? And you want me to add more to my scope? Something has to give. So how do you manage scope creep? So that's what scope creep is, is people wanting more for nothing. <laughs> so, how, so how do you manage it? It's all in the initiation stage. So it's really important. And this comes from the efficiency world. It's all in the design stage, all up front. If you can get things organized up front, you're laughing. So first and foremost, you need a really clear scope statement. And a lot of times I go into projects and there's people don't have clear scope statements. What is it that I'm delivering on? It's not just my two sentence of the summary. It's what's in and what's out. Really critical. And in fact, you know, uh, my course has a scope template. I have all the templates that you need in order to be successful. I have that template set out. The other aspect um, is once you get really clear with what you have to do, you have to connect it with a sponsor and make sure that they're aligned with it. The second thing that you do is a priority matrix. A priority matrix is a tool and technique we use all the time. I use it outside of projects to say, okay, you want this initiative? Let's talk about what do we have to, what's a constraint? What can we optimize? And what do we have acceptance to change? Because a lot of times you go into corporations and everything's a number one priority. So if I have to shift something when I need to shift something, where can I go? So you can only pick one. What's the one constraint? Is it time, scope, or budget? And you do this at the beginning when everyone's really nice and uh, they're polite and you're forming as a team and they're not going to challenge you and they're going to give you the answer and all that stuff. So you do it all up front. So what is your constraint? Is it a budget? Great. Just tell me that I can't change my budget. But then what can I optimize? Is it time or scope? It's time. Okay. So what you're telling me is ideally I want you to keep the time deliverable of, let's say, April of 2023. Um, but if you need to change it because it's going to impact on budget, well, then I have some flexibility with that. And then what can I accept? 
scope is the one last thing remaining. So now you're telling me I have the ability to shift my scope, take things out in order to ensure I'm on budget and I meet my timeline. So that is how you manage scope creep. Because when someone comes up to me and says, Adrian, I need you to add this in here. I just pull out my priority matrix. Again, my documentation, which is my life, my lifesaver. Pull it out and said, let's talk about it. My budget is a constraint. So how much is this going to cost in order to do? My time is also, I have to opt. So how much time is it going to add? So now I start having a really good solid conversation around scope, time, and budget that these people see um, from a perspective of a document that we're now talking about. I got approval already at the beginning of the project from all the executives and sponsors that they agree that that's the priority matrix and we're all going to abide by it. And that has a huge way. So if someone really, really wants it, then they may say, I'm going to give you more money for it. You don't have that power if you just accept it. You have to go through and filter it through numerous uh, techniques. And the other technique is change control. I have change control forms. I give it to one pager again in my course that I will give to people and say, okay, great. You want that? Can you please fill this out first? And I have to review it with my core team and then we'll raise it up to the steering committee. You'll be amazed. That alone will stop any requests for scope creep because yeah. <laughs> they have to think and they have to think and they actually have to do a little bit of work. And because they have to do a little bit of work, they're like, ah, I really don't need it. Because it's no. so easy just to tap you on the shoulder, say, hey, Eric, do me a favor. This would really help me if you just add this. Not a problem. Fill out the change control and let's talk about how it's going to impact scope, time, and budget. That's really and interesting. I've never thought of that, like how just the fact that you have that control in place isn't just about the control itself. It's the fact that you're sort of weeding out the, the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the trivial sorts of scope requests or scope change requests. There is tons of trivial requests. And I'm sure with digital transformation projects, you're in the middle of a build and now you're being asked for more requirements. That's not a problem, but you're going to have to put that down the list and you're going to have to add it into your next planning cycle because it is not going to happen now. So it's, it becomes fascinating and it has impact on time and it has impact on budget. And potentially resources, because if you're hiring external people, you may only have them for a set contract. People, this is what a project manager does. These are all these little nuancy details that nobody thinks about. But as a project manager or someone leading an initiative, and this is why your initiatives in the past failed, is you got to think about all this stuff. It's all this, you know, bigger picture and how does everything holistically flow together? Allow your subject matter experts, your core team members to do what they do well, because they are smart. They're there for a reason. Allow them to do their job, have their back and ensure that you can remove all the roadblocks to it and ultimately is going to end for overall success for the project. Right, right. Now, as far as making decisions on whether or not you increase scope and you, let's just say you get me to fill out a change request, uh, change control form, and um, you're going to, now your job is to figure out as project manager, um, is that something that's acceptable or not? And you've got the parameters, you've got the scope, the, the cost and the uh, timeline, you know, the, the general parameters set for the project. What are some of the other ways you would filter out those potential changes of scope? Is it a business? Are you tied it back to a business case? Or are you? Are there other, you know, ways to tie it back to it, the overall strategy of the project? Or how, how do you? Yeah, yeah I, I have in my change control form a series of questions that get asked. So it's not just the request. It's like give me the justification for your request. Tell me what you think is going to be the timing for this request. Link it back to the overall scope statement of the project. Tell me what resources you think are need, 
going to need to occur in order to have it. Tell me how much budget. And now tell me the pros and cons associated with this request. If it occurs, what is it going to give us? If it doesn't occur, what is it going to give us? Because that's now strategy, right? So that's all in a one pager, very simple. But those are really good questions. People who are asking for requests don't ask. And maybe even don't even have the answer, yet they're asking for this request. Seriously? That's bad business, period. <laughs> that bad business. You don't do that stuff until you have a good understanding. It's a one pager. It's a one page document. It's a powerful one page document to really stop things and nip them in the bud. But if someone fills it out, my God, good for you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm now going to take it my team and we're going to vet it. And I'm going to probably raise it up to the steering committee to say, hey, we have to add this. There's nothing wrong with adding things to projects. Nothing wrong with it. When we do it willy nilly or we don't look at the overall impact it's going to have on scope, time and budget, which again is that Trinity triangle we have in project management, um, then then that's what gets us in trouble. But there's nothing wrong with adding something when we start planning it out. Right. That's a great project. Great yeah. Now, getting back to more the the role itself, um, the project management role itself, what are the, and this is from Kyler over on LinkedIn, what are the levels to project management? Sounds like there's multiple roles and levels. And maybe I'll, I'll add to this a little bit or sort of spin it a bit um, into another question, which is more specifically, I always, we always hear the term program management or PMO, the program management office, and then you hear the term project manager, program manager, project manager, maybe help us define those two roles as well as any other sort of sub roles within the realm of project management. What are some of those key things we should yeah, be aware it, of? It can get confusing. So first and foremost, look at, I have YouTube videos on this subject, by the way, so go to my YouTube channel. I think I have like a 10 minute video on the different roles within project management, like seriously. So I'm going to cover it here just briefly. Uh, but again, you want to know the difference between a product manager and a project manager, a uh, program manager and a project manager. Again, I literally have it all on my channel. So that is a resource for you. So let's just high level. So there's it does get confusing so when you look at it from a hierarchy standpoint uh it tends to be and not all organizations are set up this way so just because what i'm telling you is a hierarchy kind of layout doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have happen that way every company is different not all companies are project companies but if you have a project oriented company you tend to have multiple layers your first layer is kind of like the home pmo project management office Right, you usually have a director of project management who is overseeing every single strategic initiative and project that is occurring in the organization. Then the and that's usually a director related level. They usually hang out with senior executives. In the ideal world, they should be of equal equivalence to senior executives so that they can challenge the senior executives and not feel like they have to take on every single project initiative that's asked. They look overall with all our resources that we have in this organization and everything that we want to do. Can I take on this project with all the other projects that we have? So that's that's one. They look at a very high level strategic liberal. The next level underneath that is a program or a por portfolio or program manager. They're kind of you can kind of they're not the same thing, but it depends on how it's set up. So a portfolio um, manager may have a strategic initiative uh, that they have to execute on, and then maybe it has multiple elements to it or multiple programs to it, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that has multiple activities and projects and initiatives underneath that. So that portfolio manager is gonna oversee a whole bunch of elements in that particular portfolio to sure it's successful. The next layer under that would be the program manager. So under that portfolio, there's a specific program. 
that program now may have different initiatives that all relate together, right? So, and may have multiple projects that all relate together and that have project managers running those projects. So that program manager is now making sure that they all relate. And it's really, it's just taking the role of project manager and scaling it up in a greater context. That's really all it is. So everything you learn as a project manager gets scaled up in a greater context, depending on how you're doing it. So you still need all the tools. You still need all the techniques. You just place them. Uh, you just look at them slightly differently in a greater um, role and probably in a broader role because you have a lot more that you're looking at, not just a project where a project manager oversees one initiative that they've been assigned. Now, it's not to say they won't have multiple projects, but they've been assigned and that's what they look after to make sure that it's executed and they could either roll back up to the, the PMO, they may roll up to a you know program manager, they may roll up to a portfolio manager. Again, it's depending on how everything's set up. But if you understand the fundamentals of project management, you can go into any of those roles. It's just that it's a lot more work and it's greater scale. That's all. Right. It's really that, that straightforward yeah. and simple. Yeah, it makes makes total sense. And you were talking about earlier about uh, communication and some of the skills required to be successful. And this is a really good question or, or maybe a, a comment that I want to get your opinion on, Adriana. And this is from Fernando on LinkedIn. He says, emotional intelligence to be able to manage as a project manager is not easy when the knowledge and experience are mostly technical. So have you found that to be true where you've got a technical initiative like a digital transformation, whether it be an ERP implementation or some sort of systems deployment? Um, Which I've done, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I've done all but, that. <laughs> I've I, done all that. So, okay. So, um, so here's what I'm going to challenge um, that question with. Nothing to, yeah, thank you. So, um, so thank you, Fernando, for, for putting up that question. We put up our own barriers. That's all I'm going to say. And so sometimes we can come with the lens of I'm a technical person and I'm really good with technical. I may not be good with emotional intelligence or vice versa. I'm really good with people skills, but I may not be good with technical. Throw all that stuff out the window. If you're leading an initiative, you're not leading an initiative solely with automation, which means everything's robotic. It's with people. So that's why you got to think differently. Yeah. You know what? Here's the thing now in my career. I'm, I'm been doing this for over 25 plus years. Um, I, I'm not the expert anymore. Okay. I'm not. Yeah. I have a technical background. So I'm, 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 I'm dangerous enough to ask questions, but I still don't know the freaking details, right? I don't. So I have to rely on, on my team. But I do know as a project manager and a lead, it is important that my team syncs. And that's where emotional intelligence comes in. So yeah, you can have, I, I do tons of technical projects. We're constantly implementing you, emotional intelligence because you're dealing with people you need to know. And that's just professionally across the board. I don't care if it's a project. If you have a team, if you are working in a department, you need to understand emotional intelligence. We do not do that enough. We just assume I have a technical background. That's all I need. Nope. Start going on the internet. Harvard Business Review has tons of information on emotional intelligence. There's psychology books that have, I recommend. So I, I had my, my, my first education. I, I have my, my first degrees in history. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a very history, which I loved. Actually, it taught me how to write. Taught mm -hmm. me how to write. Um, I'm telling you, there's nothing that 
from an education standpoint, it did what uh, I, I just see everything cyclical. Okay. Because everything historically comes back. So that's what, that's what I've learned from the degree from a, an education perspective, but the technique, it taught me how to write. It taught me how to think because it wasn't regurgitating history. So um, I really value that because it also, because of that, I also took some other social science courses. Like uh, I took psychology and that was imperative from a human behavior perspective because we are dealing with humans and we're dealing with people and there are behavioral related issues. And the interesting thing is, it's not just about us looking at externally other, our team members and their behaviors. It's us looking at ourselves as well. So if you're going to lead anybody in any role, you need to have a good foundational understanding of who you are. You need to have a good foundational understanding of what you represent, what are your values so that you can live them constantly. And then you need to have an understanding of emotional intelligence and how you can pick up on things with individuals so that you can be successful. Because I promise you, there are times I'm in meetings and someone did not get what they were supposed to get done. Now I have a couple of things. I could react. Okay. I could react and yell be upset well that's what is that going to get me zero right anything it's going to get me them being pissed off and upset and humiliated mm -hmm. that they got called out in a meeting so if anything i pick up on the cues this is why in virtual meetings particularly if you do a lot of virtual i always ask people to put on their camera i cannot get those cues from a voice i need to get it through a facial expression so a lot of times i see in the facial expression and give the benefit of the doubt of the person this person always delivers and they haven't delivered this time whoa i wonder what's going on in their life that something occurred so i'll reach out to them afterwards i'll go okay you know what jane thank you so much um for letting me know that you didn't get that done why don't we uh you know um connect offline and just talk about this further and we'll move on to the next agenda item and then we'll kind of figure things out that way that's emotional intelligence is to pick up and understand and see the nuances that are occurring that are in cues that are not verbal. So that becomes really important and to pick up on that and understand that greater picture. If you're, that's a huge skill set that will take you in your life professionally, personally as well, because it's all about relationships. It's all about people. Right. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Adriana Girdler talking about project management, best practices in digital transformation. We have a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. I'm here with Adriana Girdler talking about project management best practices in digital transformation. Now, on the flip side of that, um, sort of shifting gears from the emotional intelligence piece and some of the the intangible aspects or the the soft side of 
project management. What about the other side of this? And you were sort of alluding to the fact that you're not an expert in any one technology or technology in general, but you're, you're, you could still be a very effective project manager. 100%. Um, but this question from Alex over on LinkedIn is as a project manager, can you abstract away the tech or is it beneficial to understand the tech or the domain you're working in? So yeah, the answer is yes to both. You can do both. All right. It's who you are as a person. I am a knowledge seeker. I love knowledge. Um, and I like to understand what I'm dealing with. I don't need to know the nuances and the full details. I'd like to understand what I'm dealing with. So I do a lot of tech projects. I do a lot of tech projects uh, with a lot of software development. I am not a software engineer. Okay. Sometimes those things go way over my head, but I'm really good at what I do. And I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. And can you educate me? So a lot of times in meetings, I let people know, look at my expertise is to give you this big picture is to manage everything, to make sure we're on track. That's why I do a lot of the documentation, the organization. Again, there's templates. I'm going to throw you back to my course because it's good for project management, any initiative. Um, I know shameless plug, but I'm letting you know, it's, it's like, this is, this is what I do. So as long as I get all that organized, I then start working with individuals to understand a little bit better. Cause if I have to develop my action plan, my, my, my WBS action plan, I need to have an understanding of how things work. So I will spend time with people. And a lot of times people throw out acronyms and stuff like that. And I'll go, you know what guys, you'll have to forgive me as your project manager. I just need to have an understanding of what you guys are talking about. Can someone explain that to me, please? And they will. And then all of a sudden I get to know more and you start to pull out all these little nuggets and again i don't need to have all the answers i just need to know enough to be able to challenge that's all and saying okay and put and connect the dots because that's my job is to connect the dots right and to help my team and to help them think a little bit differently too because sometimes technically um technical individuals again i'm being very i'm broad stroking here not everybody's uh, made of the same paintbrush can have tunnel vision and can say, it has to happen like this. And so my job is to say, okay, look at, we have a time constraint. We now have to do kind of things in parallel. We have to be a little more agile. Um, and I'm not talking about just agile methodology because that's another thing as well, but we have to be a little bit more agile in our approach. And I'm gonna help you remove those roadblocks and let's maybe think of a couple of things, not have tunnel vision, but let's see how we can take it out and share that bigger picture. That becomes really uh, powerful. Yeah, and it, it seems like as, as you're talking and as you know, I'm sort of, unpacking everything you're saying here, it seems like as a good project manager, you really have to have a, a pretty broad understanding of multiple things. I mean, not just technology, not just emotional intelligence, but also uh, process improvement and change management and data migration, integration. You think of all these different things that happen in a big initiative and you, you can't know it all, you right? To your point, you can't in each of these areas, but you kind of have to know how that all ties together, the technical pieces, the process pieces, the people, human sides of things. And how, how do you manage that? I mean, that's, that's a lot so for a project manager. It, it, to it is. Uh, and you don't have to know it all on day one. Okay. Like what do we learn for softer skills? It is okay to say to someone, I'm learning. I don't have all the answers. I need your help. If anything, that actually connects people more to you because they go, because, because now you've just put some responsibility on them. <laughs> You didn't have the assumption, right? So over the years, so over the years, I've done so many different types of projects. So now I look at, as I said, over 25 plus years, I have a shitload of experience. I'm so sorry if I swore. I shouldn't have swore. Um, I have tons of experience. <laughs> tons. You're not the first. So um, the experience builds, right? But even when I go into a project, I'm still to this day given new initiatives. I have zero clue. So how do I handle that? Well, 
I have obviously experience and wisdom from over the 25 plus years, but this is where project management now comes into play. When I'm given a project, I don't kick it off immediately. I spend four to six weeks hanging out with my sponsor, hanging out with my clients, speaking to subject matter experts who are probably going to be on the project anyway, collecting my data that I need to fill out my project charter, which talks about the justification of the project, which talks about the layouts, the expectations, the scope statement, what's in, what's out, budget constraints, timeline. So I actually do a lot of preparation work, which educates me educates me and the sponsor there are people out there who know and sometimes not maybe not everybody knows full start to end but it's my job to pull it out and piece it together so I have this package now and I get it approved by senior executives and steering committee and I've learned this over the years do not move forward on a project without getting all your ducks lined up in a row at least benchmarked it's obviously going to move as time progresses you get that approved then you have your kickoff with your team and that kickoff for me is minimum half a day. Um, and I would go through the charter, we answer questions, we'll create our project plan. Why? Because we have all the information. And then literally the next day they can start working. It is powerful, it is huge. That's how I run my projects. I tell people who now hire me, and even when I worked in organizations, that's how I did it. I would always push back on the executives. Do you want this done well or do you want it, like do you want it fast or do you want, or do you want it done well? If you want it fast and you're pushing me to get it done, I promise you I'm going to come across tons of issues because you're not giving me the time to plan and prepare to set this up correctly. And now with clients, I go, look at I have a way of working. If you want to hire me, you got to follow my way of working. Are you okay with that? And if they can't, I'm saying, well, then that's okay. Find a different project manager. But I'm letting you know that this is how I work. And it, it it's it's if you can take that away and prep, it's like, think of it painting a room. You want to change the color, but you moved into a house, you bought a house. Oh my God, congratulations. Smoker used to live there. Damn it. Stinks. There's stuff on the wall. Are you just going to take a coat of paint and paint immediately? No. Why? Because it's not going to last. You're, you're going to, it's going to seep through. You're going to have issues. Okay. It's the same thing with projects. What do you do? Well, you move everything out. You wash the walls, you prep it, you prime it. Then you paint. Paint is easy. Executing your project is the easy part. It's all the prepping and organization that you, if you do properly and well, and you do it up front, executing a project is easy. In fact, that's where all my hard work is. That's why I'm always like, oh, I can't wait for the project to get into a groove because man, it just runs on its own. It really does when you do it well. Yeah. Well, it was funny about what you're saying is that it seems as though what, what you described as far as taking those four to six weeks or however long up front to prep, that may seem like you're slowing down. We're not making progress. But it seems like, in my mind, that's the faster way. If you're, if speed is important to you, then that doing it the way you describe it doesn't feel like it in those four weeks. Maybe you might feel like, well, we're not hitting any milestones yet, or we're not we're not seeing any progress in terms of building a new process or building a new technology or whatever the deliverable is. But you are setting up to where it can run more smoothly, and you run into a lot less issues. To where you're probably going to finish it faster and cheaper than if you wouldn't have done that prep stuff up front. 100%. And the problem that people do is, oh my God, I got this initiative. I'm going to kick it off. Team, come in here. This is what we have to do. And they all have questions, but you have zero answers. Zero answers. Okay, I'm going to get you your answers. And then four to six weeks go by because you still have to use that four to six weeks to get all those answers, right? That's what people don't realize. And then what happens? You lost the momentum. They're busy on other projects. 
right? They are now like, well, look at, I don't have time for this anymore. And now you've just created more work for yourself because you now need to get new people. You got to bring them up to speed in the whole nine yards. So it's like, look at, you have to plan anyway. So you right. might as well plan before your kickoff and get all your information and connect with the right people. Because I promise you this, when I'm given my initiative from a client executive, uh, even when I worked in uh, the organizations, they only had a partial picture and their timelines were never realistic, by the way, ever, 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 ever. So when I did my my prep work to get my charter and I, there are a lot of times and that's why as soon as I was done my charter, I would get senior executive approval on it. Because the time changed from what they thought it would be. The people changed from what they thought it would be. The scope I got locked down and there's now some really clear ins and outs. And some of those assumptions that they had, they thought was going to be in the project is actually out of the project. That's really important too. Uh, we talked a little bit about risk and assumptions and we get clarity on roles and responsibilities. And it is critical. That's just going to help you. And obviously the priority matrix, what's constraint, what can I optimize and what can I accept? That's all part of that charter. And so that becomes a really critical document that now before I kick it off and get my team going literally the next day, how cool is that? I just got you excited. Oh my God, we're here in this project, guys. I'm so thrilled. I'm your project manager. We have ways of working. We have a charter. And as of tomorrow, we're going to start going. How does that sound? Oh my God, that sounds great. People want to do a good job, right? They don't have to wait six weeks and I don't have to reinvigorate everyone and then probably have some people who don't have the time because they were given something else because they had free time, right? They don't. They just were waiting for you to get your stuff in or organized. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's well, really it simple. Like, I know. It's <laughs> why, why, why doesn't everyone do this? <laughs> I know. Because you know what? People aren't taught. Mm. People don't know. They're not taught. This is not taught in school. Um, and the templates and the way to do it, again, there's a streamline and a way to think of it. You're not taught this. And we don't, and we think of project management only for big initiatives. But what people don't realize is project management is for all initiatives. Therefore, you can take, look at in my course, you, if you, you can do it all if you have a really important project, or you can cherry pick and take a few things out because I promise you there's a lot of things in project management tools and techniques you can take and place to other things. Like I promise you strategic planning, everybody better be doing a risk register on strategic planning, right? They don't. Right. You know, right. and that's that's a project management 101 tool. Well, in, a secondary benefit of everything you're just describing, this whole thread we're on right now, is that if you do that planning up front, you've got the charter, you've got the change control process, you've got team roles and responsibilities clearly identified, you've got that linkage back to the strategy, all that stuff up front. Yeah. By doing that, not only is the project running more smoothly just because you've got the processes laid out and your internal resources can, can do a good job, to use your words, but also when you bring in third parties, when you bring in the consultants, the technical implementers, all that, now you've got a framework to manage them and hold them accountable rather than letting them run amok with the project, which is they awful. are, they're part of my team. And I think we forget this. So I may, I, I come in to a project and, and one of the things my clients always say is Adriana, you know more about our company than we do <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I really get involved. In fact, I start talking of we, okay, we, we have to do this. Like I, I become part of that company and as an, I'm not an employee, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I have, employees, internal people on projects, and I have external people on projects that they've had to hire out. They all are part of my project team. We all come together. I don't separate them. And I think that's another misconception that happens as well, is that we'll separate them. 
Now, if someone is programming, I need to have them in my meeting, or I need to at least have a core person who can talk to them and make sure that they have the same sort of project management techniques to oversee that. If not, bring that person in, because I promise you, I don't know how many times with initiatives, both hardware and software, and particularly when they combine the two together, um, you need to start talking to those key people because there's going to be programming changes. And we may want it because of a hardware related issue. And if we need to change that, I can't make assumptions. You really need to talk to the person who's creating the code associated for it, because I promise you, they're going to come across things that we just don't know. And then don't forget your UX designers as well. You just can't change that stuff on them as well. So right. you got to bring everybody. You have to bring in the core people who can represent. And you don't have to have a team of 50. You know, my core teams tend to range from eight to 10, depending on the scale. My smallest one actually right now is five, which is pretty small. Um, but, you know, they have other teams, sub teams underneath them. And so we just set up the expectations. And I will sometimes hop on those sub team meetings. Ultimately, you know, everyone understands and I've laid it out like, hey, this is, you know, this is how we work. We're working holistically. You're going to go into, you know, Joe, you're going to report into Joe for everything. But, you know, I may reach out to you for stuff as well. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, um, time's flying by. Speaking of project management and it, being that you're a project management guest, I can't uh, I don't want to run over time here. Time scope uh, budget, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But just to maybe sort of bring this all full circle here, um, you know, just sort of put a put a, a fine pin in it. Um, what are some of the ways that, you know, if, if, if I'm a project manager, I'm part of a team or I'm an aspiring project manager, or I've been handed responsibilities. What are some ways to get started, you know, in, in terms of establishing some of these best practices and capabilities that you're talking about here today? What are some tips or takeaways that we could okay. take with them to get started? Yeah, I, shameless plug take yep. my course. No, like seriously. Um, I'm so many compliments on it. And it's only because this is like the stuff I do, right? So I'm, I'm sharing with you my success. Take the course. It's just going to help you professionally in, in, in business. So that's number one. And the reason why I say that is because it in the course, it actually tells you what to do. It frames it out. It's a framework for project management. It's, it's not a software which is a tool. It's a framework to share with you project management. So take the course, it gives you all the templates, it teaches you everything. And then when you do get something, don't just run off and start doing it. You need to start planning. You need to talk to the person who gave you that project, which is usually a sponsor, and you need to get some information from them and start locking down the assumptions. And the best way to do that is through specific templates, which again, I have for you. It's all set up. So you lock all that down and then you create your charter and then you do the kickoff. And then again, there's a roadmap that I have that, that shares with you the whole process. But again, it depends on what you are trying to achieve and the scope and how uh, how large that initiative is because you don't have to do everything that's in my course you can cherry pick and do a few things but it really you know has um impact and, and it will guide you on that's all i do there's a freaking checklist i just pull it print it out and go okay here done that check 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 it's it's really you do not and this is the efficiency part of me this is my master black belt coming out if you're scrambling all the time and you're stressed your processes are broken mm. So don't scramble plan, you know, you need to, and again, the checklist is, you know, every project goes through this. I may take something out or I may even add something in, but there's, it's the framework is still the same. The framework has not changed. And so, you know, use those tools and techniques and templates that are already created to, to help you be successful. 
the spin you're going to put on it is your personality. The spin you're going to put on it is who you are as an individual and how much emotional intelligence you have. And, you know, the other softer skills like your communication, your meeting management, like that all, you know, can really make or break projects as well. I have tons of meetings, but, you know, um, I make them fun because um, I laugh a lot. But I like I'll, I'll do things for inspiration, but I but I don't do the cheesy stuff, right? Because not everybody likes that cheesy stuff. And in all honesty, we got a lot to do. We don't have time to do cheesy stuff. <laughs> right. But we can still have fun while we're working really hard because we have a short timeline to get this deliverable uh, out the door. So that that becomes uh, really important. But anyway, and there's lots on my YouTube channel uh, too. That is a free free resource, free free information for everybody. I highly recommend. So. Yeah. So if you're if you go to YouTube, search for Adriana Girdler, G-I-R-D-L-E-R. Thank you, Adriana. Great conversation. Really fun conversation, too. Great interaction from the audience, too. So I appreciate all the audience uh, feedback and questions that we received during that discussion. Uh, in fact, there's so much good stuff that came out of that conversation. Kyler and I are going to unpack a couple of the key themes from that discussion when we return from a quick break. But first, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. This is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. And we just had Adriana Girdler on the show talking about project management, uh, some of her lessons and best practices as it relates to digital transformations. What's, what were some of your takeaways in that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, great conversation. I don't, uh, I don't think sometimes we dig into project management the way that that a lot of times we think those are are kind of just top line basics. But they they are so important in order to have any sort of digital transformation project be successful. So I think there was lots of of great tactics in there. You know, specifically in talking through the importance of just overall and consistent, concise communication. Um, and the importance of that. Uh, and, and a lot of times, like our teams here at Third Stage, communication can mean so many things, whether that is a follow-up email to a status meeting, whether it's, you know, a, a specific status report when it comes to the project or updates 
those types of, of different things. So I wondered if I could kind of elaborate with you on the effectiveness of communication. How do you know that your communication in a project is effective in creating an impact for whatever your objective is as a project manager? Well, one of the things we do at third stage that is extremely helpful in that regard is to conduct an organizational assessment where we track not only the overall readiness of the organization to go through the change that they're going through and about to go through, but also just gauging how well the organization understands where the project is, why we're going through the project, what the business value is, how it's going to impact the organization, all that stuff. And if we don't get strong scores in those areas, when we do this evaluation, then we know we're not doing a good enough job. And you, you certainly want to watch how that metric tracks over time, which is why we conduct those assessments multiple times throughout a transformation. And those, those organizational assessments are a combination of quantitative data that we get through anonymous surveys from your employee base, but also in qualitative focus groups too. So, you know, we're constantly keeping a pulse on that and you, you're always learning a lot by doing those organizational assessments and understanding where you want to double down on some of your messaging and where maybe you're okay and you can, you, you've gotten the message through and you can continue to reinforce um, but either way, it gives you some good data points to figure out how to pivot or adjust your communication strategy as you need to. That's a good point. Definitely leveraging those assessments and, and project health checks and those types of different things to monitor the overall success of your project management style. I also liked when you guys touched on the trust that's needed in a project manager. And I, I can only imagine that that must be something in a digital transformation that can be hard to um, to actually solidify within a project management team, just because sometimes that team has to be the bad guy to say that's not our priority or we're working on something different now. How do you feel like it's it's most impactful to um, establish trust from a project management perspective when going through a big technology project? Well, I think Adriana started to touch on some of it when she was talking about the planning and preparation that's important to, to happen up front, where you're, you're sort of learning the business, you're learning the players, you're learning the, the scope of the project, and you're doing a lot of listening. And I think listening and asking questions is one of the best ways to build trust because it shows that you're, you care, first of all, about how the company operates and why things are the way they are. And even if you're an internal project manager, chances are you're, you're going to learn a lot about the operations and the people and the uh, business needs, technological needs, all that stuff. So I think not coming in with a pre-defined answer is really important um, because the minute you come in with a preconceived idea of what a solution should be or how the project should look, even if you're right, the perception is going to be that you're not listening and I don't quite trust you because you haven't taken the time to understand my business, my needs, that sort of thing. So I think listening and asking really good questions is one of the best way to build build trust, but also, um, you know, just establishing and maintaining those relationships on a personal level with the key stakeholders and key influencers within the organization. That's another way to, uh, to do it as well. Absolutely. And it's kind of that uh, immersion into the business that um, that you were talking about. Uh, and that she mentioned in the fact that that's kind of the way that 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 works um, and the client has to kind of accept that overall uh, cohesion to really get in, learn your business, take the time, um, of course, with scope, time and budget. Right. But also with quality. I think that was a big message of understanding how you effectively manage a project. It really is a strategic 
quality resource. Um, so definitely a great conversation um, from that. And then I think the emotional intelligence part from last week's episode is a great example of how important that is on the project management side too, almost like we call our OCM practitioners therapists. Well, this is kind of like the project manager reminds me of like the mom um, or the go-to parent in the family, right? That everyone goes to like complain or please fix my problems or, you know, I need my shoes cleaned for soccer tomorrow, those types of different things um, that they're kind of juggling all kinds of different things. So uh, that was something just from from my own personal life that I was like, oh, maybe, you know, parents make really good project managers because they're, you know, having to, to do all of these different things. But what a great conversation. I And I did drop um, a variety of links to uh, all the course material and the promo code in those comments. Uh, so I myself want to take that course. I think it's a very cool opportunity to see uh, what it looks like from a, a holistic project management management side, not just for digital transformation, but just for business in general. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, everything we talked about there in that discussion and everything she covers in her uh, project management training course, the online course is stuff that's going to be relevant, whether you're doing a digital transformation or, or not, you know, certainly if you're a consultant or um, you think you might be part of an internal team someday that's doing a transformation or if you're in the midst of one now, I think it's there's a lot of uh, benefit from from understanding those concepts for sure. And uh, again, that was Adriana Girdler. I do recommend her YouTube channel too. She's got a really good um, YouTube channel and that's where I found her. And I'm always, uh, I'm always looking to people that have a bigger reach than I do. And she's one of those people that has, you know, close to 100,000 followers or, or subscribers on YouTube. Um, and, and just really good content in, in an area that's sort of underrated. I think project management gets brushed aside as sort of a, yeah, we need it, but we'll kind of wing it and it should be okay uh, sort of thing, mentality that we see a lot with organizations. So I think adding some structure and um, predictability to, to the discipline is something that's, uh, you know, well, uh, very, very well-intentioned and, and important too. So, well, good. Well, I we'll appreciate having her on the show. We definitely will have her back on. In fact, we've already made plans to have her uh, back for a, a second episode or a part two of that conversation because there's a lot more that we didn't get into that I wanted to. Actually, I had a list of questions. I didn't even get close to getting through those questions because we had so many great ones from the audience. Um, so we'll have her back uh, in November, in a November episode of this show. So uh, stick stick around or be sure you, you keep an eye out for that. Um, so we're going to shift gears, though. And it actually isn't shifting gears that much, I suppose, because we're going to we're going to shift gears from project management to quality assurance and quality assurance, in my opinion, is sort of a an important uh, complementary augmentation of project management. It's a way to identify risk and to uh, look at more a little bit more of the qualitative or the art side of transformation. So project management is really structured, predictable processes and templates and forms and deadline, scope, budget, you know, all that stuff that's very tangible that that's important to manage and as straightforward as it all sounds, most organizations do struggle with that. But then you have the layer of, okay, we we're meeting our timelines, we're meeting our budgets, um, we're hitting all our key deliverables on paper, but we're not meeting the needs of the business or there's other risk beyond that. So I think project management is one layer, certainly project management controls, program management, all that stuff is one layer of mitigating risk and quality assurance, but there's a whole host of other stuff that goes beyond that. And this, this is where it gets into the art of understanding what a transformation should look like and how to know if you're doing it right. Not just, is it on time, on budget? Is it um, in scope? Those things are important, but now we've got to shift gears and look at more of the qualitative art of it. 
And that's really what we want to talk about um, in this panel discussion. Although, as you'll see in this panel discussion, there is, it's, it's not complete art. There is structure to it. There's a, there's a science to it as well. So we're going to cover uh, that piece of it here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from that break, we'll have uh, Clifford Martin and Dominic Lynn uh, from our EMEA office here at Third Stage Consulting. They're going to be doing a, a panel discussion about uh, quality assurance and how it relates to digital transformation. And first and foremost, what is quality assurance? Why is it important? And how do we go about it? So we're going to have them on the show. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday. And I'm excited for our clip that we're going to show you. It's actually a, a uh, presentation that was given at our recent Digital Stratosphere event just a few weeks ago. We, we hosted a Digital Stratosphere event uh, specifically for the EMEA market, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And whether you're in EMEA or not, you're more than welcome to listen to the, to the uh, sessions. And you can actually find those sessions by going to stratosphere2022.com. And you can find this as well as all the uh, all the other sessions that we did in that that full day event, as well as other uh, Stratosphere events that we've hosted digitally as well. Um, but this particular one, we wanted to play for you because it's about quality assurance and it's about how to ensure that your project stays on track and that you're identifying and mitigating risks along the way. So with that, we're going to have Clifford Martin from our based out of South Africa and Dominic Lynn based out of London in the UK, uh, both parts of the third stage international team. Uh, they're going to be doing this panel discussion with with you, Kyler. So we're going to play this clip and then we'll come back and talk about it after the fact. But uh, let's roll the clip with Clifford and Dominic talking about quality assurance. Welcome again um, to, to the delegates who have joined. Uh, yes, on, on my background, so I have uh, spent uh, many, many years um, managing and leading uh, large um, multinational uh, ERP programs, as well as uh, consulting on it for different uh, different consulting houses, uh, including KPMG and EY, Gartner. And um, I have also been a CIO before that, so I kind of get the, uh, get, get the, the, um, the, the challenges and pressures and complexities that organizations go through in terms of having to implement AI from a client perspective. Um, and as of the last uh, year and a half or so, very much involved with uh, with trying to establish our um, EMEA footprint in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And uh, this stratosphere is, of course, a, a major event on that journey. So uh, thank you for having me again today, Carla. 
Absolutely. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your insight on this important topic. We also um, brought Dominic Lane up, who is um, our VP of EMEA, and also did our quality assurance kind of overview when it comes to actually methodology and deliverables this morning. So it gives this an opportunity um, to ask him any follow-up questions regarding that. So Dominic, I'm going to go the same to you, and maybe you can give us a more in-depth background of your experience uh, with digital transformation. Well, it's a, a, a good question. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I've got kind of a, um, a, a long, long background, uh, uh, <laughs> more than 20 years, <laughs> maybe even 30 years. So um, yes, yeah, so my, my background really was um, large ERP. So I came from, I used to work for Oracle years ago. Um, and when that sort of, you know, in the early days, when it was still smart client and, um, you know, not very, not very good pre, um, pre internet. But then we quickly got into um, the modern, modern way um, and did a lot of work with big programs for Oracle, SAP, um, you know, big um, um, manufacturing organizations, telecoms. So, and slowly that sort of, map of just having an ERP and not interconnected systems has changed, you know, and slowly we've been, you know, part of that digital revolution. Um, yeah. And for me, it was, it was really in the early days, it was all around, um, yeah, electronic invoices. Can we stop shuffling paper around, you know, electronic invoices, XML, EDI, um, you know, and slowly that's sort of moving into much more complex areas around, you know, um, Full integrations, um, you know, a digital back office, completely digitizing all as um, you know, assets and artifacts. You've obviously got the front end. Amazon, Shopify have been involved in quite a few projects that have um, integrated um, Amazon um, you know, for um, fulfillment um, by Amazon, Shopify into NetSuite and things like that. So that whole digital shop, digital front end, digital factories, you know, and now you're looking at AI and distributed sort of um, um, distribution kind of online. So the whole thing kind of moving from old clunky disparate systems to full SaaS, PaaS and, and digital footprints across the digital back office, digital shop, digital front end, digital factory, digital warehouse, really quite ex exciting. Uh, you know, and up into, I've had less experience of the whole data lake and, and AI and RPA, but that's sort of um, something we're starting to, you know, get more, more and more into at the moment. Uh, and so for me, my ERP background has really morphed into this whole thing about digital strategy. You know, it's not just ERP, it's a whole bunch of other things that, that incorporate, you know, what's that nirvana of end state look like? So it's been, it's been really, really good, you know, and I'm um, kind of still young enough to understand some of these technologies now. So the next 10 years are really, really quite um, interesting in that sort of space. Well, it certainly has evolved. And as um, both of you are parents of teenagers, we who have been thrown into the, the technology space, certainly both personally and professionally, I'm sure. And I've also never heard um, you with your accent say Amazon. So that that was a fascinating experience. Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Did I say it differently? Yeah, right. Right. Um, but let's jump into kind of talking through. Shopify. Yeah, it's very English. Shopify. Yeah, right. Amazon. It is. Yeah. yeah, I love it. <laughs> Um, makes me feel super sophisticated. So, <laughs> so let's jump into kind of the quality assurance and understanding kind of where that fits within the digital transformation project. So Clifford, I'm going to go to you with, with this one. When it comes to quality assurance, how can you be sure that your quality assurance plan is optimized for success? 
Yes, I think at, uh, in responding to that question, Carla, you know, perhaps one needs to start with this as to what does one want to achieve with a quality assurance plan. And, and simplistically put, I think it's, it, it really assists the client in the decision-making process. And what do I mean by that? So what, are we, what, what we're saying is that it assists them to make, in, it assists the client in making informed decisions at critical intervals throughout the project life cycle. And of course, why informed decisions? Because it's hopefully, the quality plan hopefully sets out the predefined criteria that need to be met for critical deliverables along that project roadmap. Um, so in terms of ensuring that it's optimized, one has to ensure that it is, that one understands the deliverables. One has to ensure that the plan talks to the type of metrics in terms of industry best practice that, um, that need to be in place for those deliverables. And then of course, it, it's equally important as to who makes the decision. You know, yeah. uh, we don't necessarily want an SI marking their, their own homework. So having some level of independence and objectivity. And if we have those three or four components in place, then I think you have a good foundation for your quality assurance plan. And building on that, Dominic, how do you ensure that you have ownership over your quality assurance plan and it's matching your business goals and objectives as opposed to that of your software vendor or SI? Yeah, good question. I think that's probably part of having an, an, one of the benefits of having independent insurance, um, you know, where you can kind of um, go over the top of, kind of all, all the different areas and departments, stakeholders, um, you know, to look at that whole governance model, um, the charter, to, to ensure that, you know, everything that's in that charter um, and um, assurance plan, quality assurance plan is actually enacted. I think we mentioned it before, you know, sometimes these things look good on paper, but, you know, how, how do they actually um, become become real and that's some of the steps we went through um earlier in terms of really assessing you know what position um certain areas are in and having a proper rank status that is backed up by an action plan which goes into a management plan and gets enacted so i think you really got to you know have that independent view as well um as, as, as good pmo so with that independence, we talk a lot about that, obviously, here at Third Stage Clifford, because that's, you know, who we are and the value that we bring to our clients. But can you kind of explain the different agendas of partners that go into a digital transformation project and why it's important to just understand that professional skepticism? And sorry, I stole your buzzword because it's now mine. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so I think what, what, what clients need to realize, Kyle, is that um, all the different stakeholders involved in a digital transformation program don't necessarily have the same agenda and the same um, expectations in terms of outcome and success. And certainly don't have the same definition of success, which is, which is a pretty important point when you're embarking on a, a lengthy, costly transformation type exercise. So, so to me, it really does start with, with having some common and documented and, um, and preferably embedded in, in the SI contract, um, T's and C's or, or, or um, definitions of what constitutes success for this engagement so that there's a, a, a uniform standard um, definition for success. And, and from that, one can then start to define the different quality metrics and, uh, and let's let's face it, for the vendor, as as one can expect, um, 
you know, the, the agenda is going to be pretty much ensuring that they, that they uh, meet their, their contractual obligations. That's generally going to take us to the deployment of the solution and not much beyond, perhaps a little bit of what's generally called hypercare or hand-holding type, type of support. And, um, and it's absolutely important that we are able to assess whether those objectives have been have been met and therefore having those those quality metrics embedded in the contract up front in order to ensure that it meets the client's expectations in terms of what constitutes success for the project and not the vendor's expectations because they are going to be different um, so fundamentally important that there is that uniform definition to start with and that um, the quality metrics and quality plan enable the achievement of those objectives and all stakeholders buy into that Absolutely. And, and this is a great question um, from one of our users on, on LinkedIn here that goes along with those. It's what are some shared KPIs that you should have expectations to achieve with your SI or software vendor um, within that contracting? So I think that's an, an interesting question. So maybe Dominic, we'll start with you on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. What well, KPIs to ensure your project is being run properly i mean you know, we, we kind of mentioned it a bit earlier about assurance and assurance will come in and, and kind of have a look at what these kpis mean and and look at pmo statuses and you know is it really green what is it what is the truth under it i guess the things you can do um to manage these is um i mean obviously you've got the plan versus actual so you have sort of the time kpis and you know the time cycles um plan versus actual so quite often you have a you know, a graph that says, you know, this is what we are. You can visually see these things and it's kind of a nice little metric there. Um, obviously you've got to track variances. So budget variance, the task variance, um, you know, utilization, things like that against um, budget are also quite good, quite difficult to manage. There are tools that can do this. Um, you've got quality KPI. So I guess if you're, depends on what stage you're out of a project, like at the start, you might have a, um, a CRP and that has a parking lot and you basically have lots of questions yeah, we've got these ones unanswered, answered. Is it gap, gap fit? So you have these sort of burn down metrics that you can you can measure as well. Um, obviously, there's test metrics, defect metrics. So each stage usually has a different set of KPIs. Um, I mean, one of the things I'll probably add is quite important to have your, and, and these are all part of a stage gate review normally, um, but your weekly PMO should be able to have KPIs that sort of have a, a burn down rate and kind of can give management an idea of whether you're on track or not. But I think for me, it's things like milestones, having your key milestones really defined well, entry and exit criteria. So everyone knows, hey, you know, what happens when we get to the end of the design phase? What should be in place? What happens when we get to UAT? Um, what metrics are we measuring? How do we enter UAT? Things like that. So I think the combination of those KPIs and, and strong milestones and entry exit criteria um, you know, and milestone reviews. Okay, we're listening to the clip of Clifford and Dominic from Third Stage Consulting talking about quality assurance within digital transformations. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. 
If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. We're here playing you a clip of Dominic and Clifford from the Third Stage Consulting team internationally talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. And what are your thoughts there, um, Clifford, as well? You mentioned kind of the contracting and getting that going up front. We actually have a, a great comment from one of our users on YouTube about needing to um, engage those quality metrics. What are your thoughts there? Yes, um, thanks, Carla, and, and and I'll talk to, to uh, talk to the question specifically in a second. But let me first say that you know it's fundamentally important that the, that one has the conversation with the executive and gets them to understand what are the critical decisions that will need to be made that they will need to make on this journey because that's where it starts. You know, we talk about what are the quality metrics. So there's certain fundamentally critical decisions that the executive will need to make. They're going to be primarily around how they structure the contract, how they structure the project. We need to do what in terms of roles and responsibilities. It's going to be around the design. What, what are the pain points and, and business process requirements going, going forward? Uh, for the business case, what are we looking to achieve? Um, testing and go live. So, so there are probably six or eight absolutely critical decisions that you want your executive involved in and not involved in. You want them to own those decisions. Um, and, and, and let's take you know, just one major decision, go live. As a client, how will, on what basis will you decide whether the solution, whether you are ready to deploy the new solution into the business environment? What are, what are the key criteria? And that's an important question to have with the executive up front and, and the members of the steering committee. And typically it's going to be, as Dom was saying, it's going to be around the extent to which the solution's been properly tested, the extent to which the end users have been properly trained, the data's been migrated, and three or four other critical areas. So. In terms of what metrics does does one apply, I think the first question is what are the critical decisions that need to be made and what are the metrics that will inform them? Uh, secondly, and then I think thirdly, and it's useful to document even to this level of detail, uh, thirdly, what is the type of evidence in what format that will be presented to the executive to enable those decisions to be made? And that leads me to the question that, that, that around the SI. The SI has an absolutely critical role to play, of course, in, in, in um, ensuring that the deliverables are measured are, are delivered with the, in accordance with the predefined levels of quality. And therefore, and the only way to ensure that happens is to embed it in the contract up front. If you don't, you uh, good luck to the client that's trying to have that conversation with an SI halfway through the project when you, you know, when you're burning x uh, number of dollars per day etc uh, it's going to be a very difficult conversation so we certainly encourage and advocate that clients have these conversations up front before the si is appointed and make it a requirement of the rfp process and ensure that they embedded you just in such a much stronger position if one can do that and that, that adds to the point i was trying to make around um, you know certainly in your statement of work and it's part of our quality assurance reviews or assurance review, mm -hmm. you'd have a, you know, a look at the statement of work. And as you said, you've got to have that clear that the, the, the um, vendors have got to have clear scope. You know, the scope's got to be pretty mm -hmm. detailed, the deliverables, the timelines, 
also these milestones. So, you know, I, I would list every key milestone that has these quality entry and exit criteria that, that um, you know, we agree constitutes passing over that point in time. Um, and, and of course, the uh, things like the racy matrix, you know, responsible mm -hmm. and accountable and who does what really, what's the handover points. Um, yeah, and that's why it's important some of these milestones and quality reviews that have a proper formal review where people say, okay, I did this, are you happy, have you accepted it, rather than ticking the box. So I, I think formal stage gates are part of that quality metrics. Uh, yeah. the and, and perhaps just a quick example of of yeah. how this often plays out, Carlos. So, you know, one gets to one gets to the steering committee where one where the steering committee has to now decide are we ready to go live or not. And and you you see the projects where one has these these disciplines in place around quality and it's predefined and everybody understands what their roles are, etc. And that's a very kind of um, clean conversation and by that i mean there's a there's, there's a good understanding of what what are the key uh, metrics what's the decision that needs to be made the types of evidence we need to assess etc etc and it's an it's a very informed um decision following due proper due diligence when those disciplines around quality are not in place it's generally you know a big debate and nobody quite mm -hmm. understands where we're at and and how well we've done in certain areas and not quite sure what evidence is available to to um, to, to, to kind of um, ensure that, that those objectives have been achieved or those deliverables have been met, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a little bit of a messy decision-making mm -hmm. process within the steering committee. And, uh, and that's absolutely as a direct result of not having a proper quality management plan in place. So it sounds like the the need is um, for that alignment around those quality metrics. And we've had a lot of questions throughout our event today from our awesome audience about executive alignment. So how do you achieve that alignment around those metrics and ensure that it's something that you can trickle down through the organization? Dom, why don't we start with you? That's another one for Clifford, I think. Oh, okay. Let's start with Clifford. <laughs> I thought you talked about that earlier, so yeah. <laughs> yes, no, no, absolutely essentially essential that executive alignment, uh, Kyla, and, and, and you know, and, and the question I think you asked me is alignment around what? And 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 I mentioned this earlier as well. I, I'm a strong proponent 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 of of an executive type bootcamp up front, exactly mm -hmm. to tease out those questions and get the executive to agree and understand what, well, firstly, what this, what such a transformation journey entails, what are the critical milestones, the potential pitfalls, and very importantly, what decisions once again, are you going to be asked to make? Because that allows them to prepare, that allows a head of department or business process owner to know that in, in three, six, nine months time, we're getting to do user acceptance testing. I'm, and I'm going to be accountable as the head of finance, head of supply chain, et cetera. I'm going to be accountable for um, providing an opinion to the steering committee, to my executive forum, as to whether I believe within my area of responsibility, we've done sufficient testing to deploy the solution. And so one has to set those accountabilities up front and ensure that there's that everybody understands what, what they're going to be asked to do further downstream on the project. And once we understand those critical decisions, decisions we can now uh, facilitate those conversations going forward by ensuring that we have properly defined metrics for those decisions so that there's no ambiguity around who needs to do what to uh, assess the quality of the deliverables going forward um, 
And, and when you have that type of framework in place, it really makes those decisions so much easier. Um, and, and of course, it, it, it demonstrates that as an executive team, one has followed good governance and, and the an appropriate due, due diligence in arriving at those decisions. So that's, you know, from a good corporate governance perspective, that's fundamentally important. Yeah, and I'd, I'd probably add to that then for, you know, you talk about the boot camp, and I know it's part of our, our offering, um, but it's, I think the key bits are, to add to your point, is that alignment is, you have to start with the strategy, didn't you? That strategy uh, definition and 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 alignment and to articulate that strategy. Um, you've got to have something to align, haven't you? Um, so those, those boot camps are really quite important. Um, some of the execs probably don't know, do they? They're like, oh, I didn't realise we were doing that. Oh, mm -hmm. so unless you have that alignment and buy-in, it's very difficult for people to do anything. You know, you've got to have that mandate from the top down. That's why sponsorship is one of the key critical success factors. We haven't really done a session on that, but it's one of the key critical success factors for Ooh, that would senior be management to be bought in. Um, yeah, we could do a whole a whole session on that one day about critical success factors and how they should be implemented. Um, but yeah, just out of those comments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to this question from Sam Graham here on LinkedIn, because um, I think it's a, a really important um, question around quality assurance and understanding how that affects different sized organizations. So Sam says, I've seen small and medium sized companies think they can just quote unquote wing it without proper documentation. Is this also true for many big companies? Um, so let's start with you, Clifford, on this one. Yes, well, the simple answer is no, that you can't wing it. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, um, Kylo, you know, one has to ask if we have a, if we have an implementation project um, that does not have the required standards of documentation, um, then, and that doesn't necessarily need to be in a, in, in, in a kind of um, you know, paper format. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about digital information stored within whatever repositories, um, but but it needs to be recorded and one has to then question if it's not there or absent or not at the, at the required level of quality and completeness. One has to, to question the, the SI and the implementation approach and methodology being utilized because certainly any SI that's, that's um, you know, worth its salt is going to come with a comprehensive implementation methodology which is going to require certain dictate, in fact, certain deliverables and in fact, for the SIs to maintain the accreditation with the big solution providers, they need to conform and adhere to those standards. You know, we need the design documented somewhere so that people can, we need the business processes, we need it down to a certain level of detail in terms of what are the transactions, the tasks, the roles, the reports that are going to be generated and built into the new solution. So if those types of things are absent, I think it's a major failing on the part of the SI and uh, and and cause for great concern on any project. And that's that's Absolutely. why we always do a, a very detailed um, artifact review <laughs> on what um, these are the documents you should have. These are the ones you know that are missing. Or, um, but I, I'd also to answer the question, I, I think they certainly shouldn't wing it. But I still see a lot of companies do that now. And quite often at the start, when we say, okay, we're going to come and do a current state assessment, almost every one I've done recently, uh, and this is maybe pre-big ERP project, but, you know, after the, they've got existing systems they've been using for years, when we say, what's your current processes? Most of them don't have process maps. You know, well, show me your SOPs then. Oh, well, yeah, Dave did that. And he kind of, you know, it's, you know, um, all right, um, 
yeah what what about um a doc, uh, system architecture uh, really uh, sort of so uh, again you know when we go in normally it's that current state assessment we end up rewriting a lot of that stuff i think you're right at the end of a project when an si has been in there um i'm still quite you know, left a little bit aghast at uh, some of the quality of, of, of the documents. Some do it really well. Others are left wanting. I very, very rarely see a, an end-to-end -end solution design document. You know, you get lots mm -hmm. of functional specs. You know, here's my silo, here's that silo, and some configuration workbooks. But having an end-to-end -end solution and, and a document that's got true revision numbering and stuff like that, I, I think I think the industry is woefully lacking in that 20 30 years ago when i started out we were hot on paperwork everyone did dot the i's cost of the disease you make one small change you've got 10 pages of documentation just in case someone leaves and, and someone's got to pick it up there's a lot of pride in that i think now it's just too um too much money too you know you've got to be efficient lean people don't like to you know you, you've got to make sure that's in the statement of work again produce a solution design doc do this do that all the deliverables but anyway that's my my 10 cents or 50p <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's Lots a do wing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So and I, I think the wing it piece is a lot of times when we come in, um, third stage either does very expensive restoration projects for those organizations that did wing it, or we come in for that program assurance to say, we will, you know, take a look at all of your strategic um, documents, and then all of the, um, the partnership contracts with SI, those types of different things to help make sure that organizations are able to navigate this because, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know um, in that type of in, in that type of arena. OK, we're listening to the clip of Clifford and Dominic from Third Stage Consulting talking about quality assurance within digital transformations. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. We're here playing you a clip of Dominic and Clifford from the third stage consulting team internationally talking about uh, quality assurance within digital transformation. We have a, another question here from our YouTube user that's quite technical. So um, this is for software development um, specifically. Uh, so quality assurance takes a deeper meaning. There's the quality of the UX UI, and then there's the quality co of code, making sure it adheres to SE principles. How is that handled? This is way outside my wheelhouse. So I hope somebody else has a, a great answer to, <laughs> to this. So who wants to take a crack at it first? I was chopping at the bit. I could see it. <laughs> You're the IT guy, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, um, little bit um, 
outside of my kind of experience as a project program manager at that level. Um, I guess, I guess I'm thinking where where I've had issues around the the I guess the build um, and that sort of coding um, is issues with sprints. This agile sprint methodology that okay. that, that sometimes is deployed and and I've, I've never been on, I've not been on a project in the last couple of years that's done one really well. And I think these things around the quality metrics that you're probably talking about is, um, you know, is left a little bit wanting. Um, so, and I think some of the issues we've had with um, assurance work has been after sprints, you know, the sprint has, has happened, um, the quality of the code and the, the testing and the user interfaces don't really kind of um, match. Um, as I see Sam's not agreeing with you. Agile. Yeah, so Agile for me um, shouldn't really be um, deployed unless people really know what they're doing. Um, I, I much prefer the waterfall on the RP implementations for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would add to that to say that I think it's fundamentally important. And what I do see happen quite often is in terms of development, um, you know, the, the client, where clients are big enough and large enough that is to utilize their own technical staff to provide mm -hmm. oversight on what the SI is doing and ensure that they comply with the organization's quality metrics regarding development. So um, I think that that the client interaction and oversight of the development effort from the SI is, is extremely important so that there's no misalignment between the standards that the SI bring and the client's own technical standards around development. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. So when we're talking about Agile, and I'll bring, I'll bring up kind of a, a you know, a, a building point on this question. Um, how does that affect the quality assurance requirements if you are taking more of an agile approach? And maybe for those that don't know the difference between agile and waterfall, um, maybe Clifford, you could give us a quick rundown on the difference there. Sure. I mean, there's no doubt that the that the the quality assurance approach is more complex on an you know, an agile project, and I and I think it's an interesting comment made um, in terms of not agreeing with agile in the ERP space. I have my concerns as well, and of course, all the major ERP providers these days also have an agile methodology, and I think that's because of the pressure that's come from the marketplace in terms of projects taking too long and so on. But essentially, you know, the waterfall approach is a lot more structured and, and, and it can follow a, a very structured and systematic stage gated process. So we, as an example, we want, to, we want to complete all the design before we move into bold. We want to ensure that the, the bold has been, happened in accordance with the design before we move into testing. And that's for the full solution. Of course, in an agile um, approach, it's a lot more iterative and it's a lot more focused around specific scrums or functional teams. So we could have multiple components of the solution at different stages on the project lifecycle. We could have some development happening. We could have some iterative testing happening on different solutions. And at some stage, it all needs to come together. So it does complicate the QA approach, but it's certainly um, you know, an, a comprehensive quality assurance plan and program is still absolutely possible within an agile environment. Yeah, I must admit to add that I, I don't, I don't like sprints in, in ERP if we can or agile. Sure. I mean, it normally ends up being, you know, we've done some design, there's a bunch of requirements and they get to a stage where they go, okay, we've got some requirements. We've got a set bit of time. How much work can we do in that period? And then go to the next bit. But, you know, there's, it's difficult to prioritize and I, I've never quite 
kind of understood how the backlog, you know, doesn't go down quick enough and sprint one, sprint two, and, you know, what's the overlap? And, um, and, and sometimes it's done for config items as well, not just development where you've got five interfaces and we kind of do the development sprint. It's done with config as well. So I certainly, one of the things we advocate is, you know, unless it's really tried and tested or you've got massive development, I I don't like offshore, uh, you know, unless it's well managed or just for, for certain key areas uh, and, and the, Agile sprint uh, methodology is is a, is a tricky one for me. I've not seen it go well in, I've probably only done four, but they've always gone a little bit astray mm-hmm. from what I can tell. No one really knows what's going on. It's just sort of a bit of chaos that people like to do. And, and you know, and then at the end of it, we try and unpick the chaos and see what happens. Oh, there's remediation mm-hmm. to do. I've not seen it done well. So I'm sure there's agile people out there screaming at the screen now going, of course it can mm-hmm. be done well, but. Yes, actually, on our live stream this last week um, with Wendy, who wrote a book on um, strategy to reality is her book. It's called um, one of our great guest questions talked about um, technical chaos, which I think is um, you know a great way to kind of describe what can happen in a digital sure. transformation if you don't have those those roadblocks um, to sure. quality assurance. Um, so. Moving through kind of what that looks like from a, a vendor vendor um, overall integration, I'm wondering if you could share kind of a high level top three tips to achieving a quality assurance or a successful quality assurance plan. So, um, Dom, let's start with you. Um, okay, so sorry, top 10 um, key points for um Vendor quality assurance or just quality assurance? I mean, you can do 10. I asked for three, but you know, if you are an overachiever over there. I I heard, I heard top 10. Yeah. I I think we've kind of touched on a a lot of them where it's, um, you know, what's, what's, what are the metrics you want to really uh, test, you know, and, and, and be measured on your KPIs. And I think that quality plan um, should Kind of reflect that really um, and certainly things of, of, of test metrics yeah, you've got other important things like um regression testing i think i, I would look at regression testing data reconciliation business readiness they're, they're kind of kind of some of the key planks i think for any project uh, and and how you work that into a quality metric is a uh, can be a little bit tricky but you know they'll probably be the three areas i would i would look at <clears throat> regression testing is only there if you've got a live system obviously a lot of people do new erps but mm-hmm. quite often we've we've got areas to, to do regression testing but data reconciliation um difficult to do a kpi and what about you clifford are you going to do 10 or maybe 15 to top top dom or <laughs> i only did three <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh, okay let me let me focus um yeah so, so I'll, I'll just do three I, I think number one um ensure that you link it to the decision-making process, you know, understand what are the critical decisions. Um, number two, be, ensure that for those critical decisions around, and they're going to be around what's been, whether certain uh, deliverables have been met on the project timeline, ensure that you link those metrics to those decisions. And the third tip would be absolutely important that they are embedded within the SI contract so that you have uh, a mechanism by which to hold the uh, SI2 account. And those are those are great. I love how um, Dom went more on like the deliverable side, and and Clifford went more on the strategic side. So that's such a, a good sampling. So last question: true or false? So you don't have to you know um, name top 
top 10 things, Dom. So calm down. You'll be, you'll <laughs> I, I'm be English. Too. I use too many words to describe yeah. a few things. <laughs> so if you do not have a quality assurance plan for your digital transformation, it will fail. True or false? Overall true. Is, is, is that it, Tom? Yeah, wow. Okay. I'm shocked. You said the wrong word. word. <laughs> His feelings are hurt because you told him he was talking too much. <laughs> true. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 heard, I heard the brief that time properly. Right. Absolutely. So let's let's end here um, with a user question, because I think this is a really good one from um, one of our listeners on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for watching. To what extent do solutions like SaaS and cloud solutions play a role in quality assurance? Um, we've seen, obviously, a, a huge migration into more software as a service um, and software as a subscription based uh, solutions. Uh, so what does that look like as far as that quality assurance piece to that? And um, Dom, let's start with you. Um, to some extent, it, it may simplify things. So um, for some of the SaaS solutions um, or cloud, certainly things like Oracle, in the old days, you know, Oracle was uh, out of the box solutions or so we thought. And then people sort of add, people tend to over, over egg requirements gathering, you know, and end up sort of building something that's, not what the original ERP was for, and it's supposed to, you know, get rid of your legacy, have an out-of-the-box ERP, best best practices. I think we moved away from that a lot with people extending and, you know, uh, customizing ERP. I think cloud brings it back to that sort of area where it's out-of-the-box or in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a much more structured, usually a template-based, um, you know, some of these ones come pre-configured. So I think there is a, a probably, uh, you know, easier to... QA and, and and have a quality product around the SaaS products now because they're less tampered with uh, in, in aspects. So that would be my initial view. The only thing you've got to look at is your how it affects your IT governance and your IT operating model going from, from maybe on-premise to the SaaS model, things like that. Um, there's obviously quality and, and governance around that, that area. But I think it simplifies it. Simplifies, okay. And, and what about... Yeah, what about you, Clifford? What's your feedback on that question? So, so I think SaaS models are generally more of a, a, a adopt rather than adapt approach in terms of the design. So certainly in terms of that phase, it's somewhat simpler, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't suggest that it's uh, any less important in terms of SaaS or cloud deployment. So it might be simpler in, in certain around the design, um, but um, it's still extremely important. Yeah, but I think your metrics would go a little bit about what I was saying around um, data. It's all more about the data than data reconciliation and you know what's your metrics around that and business readiness um, as opposed to have we you know done have we built it properly? You know, have we have we measured all the requirements? You still need to do that, but I think I think it, it probably simplifies that bit. But yeah, you're right. No less important to to do it. Certain um, you know quality assurance is still important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing these great insights. Obviously, quality assurance is one of the things that we see as a need in the marketplace, which is why we specifically in this region put so much emphasis on how do you ensure that your digital transformation is successful and quality assurance is that insurance piece. It's very similar to, you know, you wouldn't drive a car without insurance. 
so if we can help you in that way or just simply have an informal conversation, uh, let us know. You can always reach out via LinkedIn. All right. Thank you, Clifford and Dominic. Thanks for that great discussion about quality assurance. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the lessons and themes from that discussion. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 88. We just had Clifford Martin and Dominic Lynn talking about quality assurance and digital transformations. Uh, Kyler, what were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that panel discussion? Yeah, well, I, I think it's such a good um, coupling with Dominic and Clifford because Dominic really kind of pioneers a lot of our our project program management and the technical piece of organization uh, and how that looks as far as actually facilitating that project. And, and he comes in, looks at these projects and can give advice in a completely independent nature if the project is set up for success or if it's not set up for success or there's areas of opportunity. And then Clifford talked a lot about the vendor management side. And I think a lot of times quality assurance, people don't think about there's so many additional uh, stakeholders involved in the projects that have their own agendas and understanding how to kind of communicate with them, leverage what their skill set is while still kind of owning the strategies and objectives that you want to achieve as a business. So the two sides of those uh, are, are really great coming together to, ex to explain the importance of quality assurance, but also the expansiveness of quality assurance and where it should really be and who should be responsible for it. So I think that that was a great conversation, just the dynamics between the two. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a tricky balance, but I agree. It's a, it's a good, that was a good discussion to, to kind of highlight that. Absolutely. I think it's uh, really interesting how many times we jump into triage projects because uh, that we didn't see that quality assurance be a main strategy or a, a main work stream, right, within the overall digital strategy or technology implementation. So it, it truly is the insurance policy, as we talked about, for your transformation project, especially if you're a smaller mid-tier organization. Digital transformations do really have the power to completely disrupt and derail um, your overall business in any factor, uh, 
of industry. It, you know, transcends industry, it transcends size, but the need to invest in that from an independent lens is so important. And I think what we, Clifford was really trying to drive home there is a lot of times you'll hear from your system integrator or your vendor saying, you know, everything's fine, everything's good, everything's fine. And you really need that ability to have that in, independent, skilled expertise to say, oh, is it really fine? Like, you know, really let's dig into what that looks like. Um, so I, I, I think it's so important um, to consider when planning any sort of digital transformation that quality assurance should be in really your top tier of prioritizations just to ensure that you're best set up for success. Yeah, much like you'd put in place um, the, the project management and program management that we talked about earlier in this episode with, with Adriana. Um, just like you want to make sure you have project management, project controls in place and a charter or a project plan, budget, all that stuff. You also want to make sure you have a quality assurance framework in place because you know, there's, there is that, that art of uncovering and anticipating where the risks are and anticipating them before they become pain points or problem areas, which if you wait until they become pain points or problem areas, you've waited too long. And oftentimes they're, they're too difficult or impossible to fix at that point. So you really need a, a partner that can help you anticipate proactively where those, those gaps are. And the other thing is you don't want to rely on your system integrator or software vendor to provide that capability for you because it's a lot like the guard or the the fox guarding the hen house where you are you're experiencing a situation where it's in their best interest to not identify risk because it makes them look bad potentially or the perception is they might look bad if they identify the risks and secondly they don't they don't uh, necessarily see the risk themselves because they're deploying technology and deploying technology is different than deploying a business solution and they may say it's the same thing. And I know that in the industry, we like to blur those lines, um, but there is a difference between deploying technology and deploying a, a broader business solution. So I think those are two sort of uh, words of warning or words of advice for anyone that's, that's thinking about quality assurance. Absolutely. And I highly recommend um, going to our website and watching the full EMEA replay because um, a few keynotes before this, which will feature on ground control at some point, uh, Dominic actually does go through an entire workflow of quality assurance, what that looks like and um, deliverables around it so that you can really understand what does that look like from an actual strategic and tactical perspective uh, so highly recommend that. Again, you can find that on our website. The replays are available on YouTube as well. Um, and if you would like to connect with Dominic or, or Clifford, you can definitely go to our website and their LinkedIn is um, is linked on our team's page. So if you wanted to learn more about the work that they do and the thought leadership that they have in that area, um, I highly recommend connecting with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're good good people to follow on, on LinkedIn and connect with. So Hopefully you found that that helpful uh, in the discussion here uh, related to quality assurance. So that's a that's a wrap for us today. That's a great episode. Thank you, Kyler, for all the, the great content and helping me host this. I really appreciate it, as always. And thank you to the audience for listening in today. And be sure if you could, I have a favor to ask if you could just spread the word and let people know about this podcast and share it with colleagues and anyone else that you think might benefit and find value in this content. We'd love to get the word out to more people. So thank you for doing that in advance. I want to thank everyone for being here today. Have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Take care. Okay.